Hello, and welcome to Conversations from the World of Allergy, a podcast produced by the American Academy of Allergy, Asthma, and Immunology. I'm your host, Dave Stukas. I'm a board-certified allergist and immunologist and serve as the social media medical editor for the Academy. Our podcast series will use different formats to interview thought leaders from the world of allergy and immunology. This podcast is not intended to provide any individual medical advice to our listeners. We do hope that our conversations provide evidence-based information. Any questions pertaining to one's own health should always be discussed with their personal physician. The Find an Allergist search engine on the Academy website is a useful tool to locate a listing of board-certified allergists in your area. Finally, use of this audio program is subject to the American Academy of Allergy, Asthma, and Immunology Terms of Use Agreement, which you can find at www.aaai.org. Today's edition of our Conversations from the World of Allergy podcast series will discuss the hot topic of COVID vaccine hesitancy. And we are extremely pleased to welcome Dr. Juanita Mora as our guest for today's episode. Dr. Mora is an allergist in solo practice at the Chicago Allergy Center in Chicago, Illinois, and also spends time teaching trainees through her academic appointment at Illinois Masonic Medical Center. In just February 2021, not that long ago, Dr. Mora was highlighted as a Quad AI practice champion based upon her tremendous work in her community and beyond. Uh, she spends her time alleviating fears and mistrust of public health measures related to the COVID pandemic and more recently with vaccines. She is the perfect guest for today's episode. Also, as the oldest child of immigrant parents from Mexico, Dr. Mora has been using her own life experiences and fluency in Spanish as part of her outreach efforts within the Latino community and other underprivileged patient groups. Dr. Mora, thank you so much for taking time to join us today and welcome to the podcast. Uh, thank you, it's my pleasure to be with everyone today. Uh, well, I, I'm very excited to talk with you on so many topics, um, but I'd really like to start uh, learning more about you and your fascinating background, if that's okay. Uh, would you mind just sharing you know, how your upbringing contributed to you becoming the allergist and really advocate that you are today? Absolutely. So um, I'm a first-generation Mexican-American, oldest of five kids. My first language was Spanish. I learned English once I got into pre-K um, here in Chicago. And as a little girl, I remember um, being the one as the oldest to help translate when my grandparents would go to the doctor or my parents would go to the doctor. And I remember learning really early on the lack of representation or having people to really talk in your language and be able to help you. And, you know, looking back then and, and now at the statistics, it's one Latino doctor per 8,000 Latinos in the U.S. So definitely a shortage. And I said, I remember as a little girl thinking, I want to grow up and make a difference in this community. I don't want people to wait that many hours in a waiting room or in an emergency room to see a doctor. I want to be a face just like theirs. I'm coming from the same background. This is kind of like my family. And I want to grow up to, to make a difference and be a voice for those people that really didn't have a voice. And um, so... This is how my, my really my, my birth into science and medicine was born, my love and passion for it. And I wound up doing all my career in Chicago. I did med-peep residency at Rush, followed by allergy and immunology and fellowship. And I thought, um, Dave, that I was going to do primary care because I loved internal medicine and I loved peas as well, too. But then I rotated through allergy and immunology and just fell in love with the field. I mean, I love the complexity of it, how, you know, obviously we still treated the whole family, but yet there were those rare cases that kept your science mind going, those immunology cases as well, too. 
And suddenly, you know, it kind of all ties in in our journey because um, it also allowed me to have time to do advocacy work, which I loved. I was able to do outreach into the community, mentor um, young people as well, too, as I went in first generation, going to college, going to medical school, everything else. And what I found out most is once I went into private practice, five years into private practice, I partnered up with the American Lung Association initially as a clinic partner and then became national spokesperson for the American Lung Association. This is my fourth year. And I have to say that American Lung Association made me find my voice and my passion as well, too. And this pandemic just kind of exploded it to another level. So, you know, I'm enjoying the journey and I'm enjoying everything. I'm loving what I'm doing now. Oh, what an amazing story. Uh, I have to ask, do you still serve as a translator for your family members? <laughs> <laughs> oh, 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 no, no. Now they call me for everything. I'm sure your parents do too, everyone. Because yes, we're supposed yes. to know every answer in the book. <laughs> yeah, and as it, for myself as a pediatrician, I get to say, sorry, I, I forget all that. So <laughs> call your doctor. <laughs> <laughs> As you mentioned, you've spent really your your entire life and especially your training and medical career in Chicago. And I'd love to hear from you. You know, what have you learned throughout your patient interactions over the last couple of decades? Where have we improved uh, from when we started, where you started, and what areas really still need to be addressed? Sure. So Chicago's my hometown. I completely love it. It's diverse, beautiful melting pot on so many cultures and so many levels. But what I've learned throughout growing up here in Chicago and as a physician, there's still so much work that needs to be done, so many health disparities. There's still lack of access to care, some because there's not, um, obviously people don't have health insurance, affordability of medications. There's language barriers still that exist. It's gotten better because there's more translator and more everything else too. Um, there's also lack of representation, still a lack of doctors that look like them or speak their language as well too, which makes it hard for these communities. And then I have to say poverty levels are still really high in minority communities. And when it comes to vaccination rates, for example, for flu or even now COVID-19, the levels are some of the lowest throughout the country in the, in the African American and the Latino communities. And this is where I feel like the vaccine hesitancy comes in and where as vaccine ambassadors and a voice for them, we can really talk to them, talk the science, have that conversation to dispel the myths, to really you know, start that, you know, the the path towards knowledge so that we make this community believe in the vaccines and hence get their families and themselves vaccinated. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, you know, you, you hit the, the spot of um, this pandemic has really just uh, highlighted the tremendous disparities that have always been in existence in regards to minority populations and, you know, health care is not, care is not equal for all. Uh, it sounds like you've really experienced that throughout your career. Would you agree? Oh, oh, definitely, definitely. And even like through families I saw in clinic days throughout the pandemic, people losing jobs left and right and, you know, or losing spouses to the pandemic because they were essential workers and seeing, you know, like wives now having to, you know, raise four kids on their own now. and It's just super sad. Mm. Oh, it really is. 
Well, I appreciate that background. And speaking of background, uh, going back to your sort of personal career, you spend a lot of time speaking to groups of various sizes and, uh, and backgrounds. As you're a national spokesperson for the American Lung Association, uh, you spend a lot of on camera giving media interviews and speaking in person, well, before the pandemic, at least to large crowds. So I, I, I'm just curious, do you have any formal training when it comes to public speaking or are you just a natural? <laughs> so... You know, it all goes back to our childhood somehow. But, you know, like I had parents, big Catholic families, Mexican. My mom, I was the oldest. Oh, she got a loud voice. She volunteered me to read the Sunday lectures in front of 250 to 300 people. <laughs> <laughs> so you get comfortable very fast with big crowds. But then um, I do have to say I've also gotten um, uh, media coach training through the American Lung Association. So, mm -hmm. you know, we do it once a year as part of our orientation as we enter a new year with Terry Gowdy, who was an ABC7 media coach who's amazing and has helped CEOs get a out of a lot of trouble by coaching them on what to say. So she's amazing. <laughs> oh, that's great. Yeah, I, I know we, we can all benefit from some uh, some advice from the other side of the camera, shall we say? <laughs> absolutely, absolutely. Uh, well, that's wonderful. So let, let's shift gears back to really the, the topic at hand today. And when, when you discuss the COVID pandemic with patients in the office setting, so let's go away from the large group and, and on camera, you have that individual patient and or family in front of you. Uh, are there any proactive or anticipatory questions that you like to ask? How do you address this? Sure. So first question that, you know, any family vaccine, even if it's a regular patient visit, if it's, you know, obviously, and they um, allergy visit, et cetera. First thing I do is a mental health check. Mm -hmm. I say, you know, I talk to the mom or the dad and even the kid. I, I said, how are you guys doing with the pandemic? You know, how um, is uh, Johnny doing with the Zoom learning, et cetera, just kind of checking in. And then my follow-up question is usually, how's the rest of the family, everyone safe? And that, I think, opens up the conversation as well, like if they've lost a loved one, et cetera, to kind of talk about it. And then the third question that follows up as we, I open the conversation is, have you gotten your vaccine yet? Or have your parents been vaccinated? And that starts a conversation in terms of maybe they'll say, well, Dr. Mora, you know, I, I'm, I think I'm going to wait on the vaccine. Or, you know, do you think they're safe? So sometimes they follow up with questions. And during that, you know, conversation, before we even start just a regular visit, I get to dispel some of the myths on the vaccine so that they think about it a little bit more. And I think it's, it's beneficial to do it one patient at a time because the more we talk, then they talk to their family members and it escalates up a chain, which is really great. Mm, so you just make it a normal part of the clinic visit, just like just this is you know what we're going to talk about today. Um, and do people tend to respond favorably to that? Do they do they open up to you and, and have a discussion? They do. As soon as, for example, because you're checking in on their families, so they feel that caring factor as well, too. Mm -hmm. And, you know, because I always, you know, are your parents okay? Are your in-laws okay? It just gives, gives them that comfort level so then they can open up to you at that point, which is really, I, it's been a nice part of doing it in clinic naturally. Mm -hmm. oh, it's, yeah, it's very different than just walking in, uh, saying a brisk hello and sitting down and opening up the EMR and start clicking boxes. Uh, that, that rapport is very important, especially now. Mm -hmm. 
Oh, now what about, you know, have you learned any lessons with the work that you do on a national level uh, in regards to, you know, what you can take back to individual patients and, or, and vice versa? You know, how does that sort of interact with each other for you personally? Sure. Um, so a lot. So now I get recognized even when I go to grocery stores, even <laughs> if I'm in a mask and a bun, et cetera. <laughs> so, you know, people... <laughs> People will tend to ask me questions like even at behind, you know, the lady at the deli or behind that counter as well, too. And then they'll ask me, did you get the vaccine, Dr. Mora? Did you get any side effects? So those were the questions initially. And then my my follow up questions. Have you signed up? You're an essential worker. Mm -hmm. Have you signed up? And every week I'd follow it up. And, and then they would have more questions kind of coming back and forth. Same with patients. So, you know, because they've seen me a lot on TV and everything else, uh, especially the older population, I have to say, will pat me on the back, even through COVID times, <laughs> and say, thank you for doing that social labor of love, you know, and, and thank you for helping us navigate this pandemic. Um, and, you know, I tell them, you know, I, I do it because I love I love it, and it's, it's a way to help people keep safe. Um, I mean, I specifically remember at the beginning of this pandemic, and I've become friends with a lot of the newscasters because everything was closing down. It was in March, and then you had these outbreaks at factories like the Tortillerias where like eight people were dropping dead, and then the rest of the workers didn't know what to do um, to keep their family safe or where to head to. And I opened up my doors, Dave, and I said, um, you know, because they would send messages to the newscasters once all these actual outbreaks were happening and where can we go because their doctors were closed. Everything was on a national, you know, on a local lockdown. And um, it was just all this desperation. And I remember, like, saying, well, I'm going to open up my doors and examine them and make sure they're okay and then start teaching them on what they can do to keep the rest of their family safe. So it was even through the um, newscast, we would walk through scenarios and make it Maria and Jose. You know, Jose works at this company. He, he, they had an outbreak. What is he to do? Like lock himself in his bedroom. Everyone starts wearing masks in the house, mm. et cetera. So it was really helping them navigate case by case. And I think, you know, now I look back and I was like, wow, you know, it was in, in a sense, um, it was very rewarding to be able to help a lot of people at once through the cameras, through media, which is a blessing as well, too. Mm -hmm. Oh, that's amazing. And, and to highlight sort of that positive public health messaging that you've been doing really since the start of the pandemic, um, on the flip side, in your opinion, where have we collectively failed? with our messaging and how has that impacted the patients we're trying to help and what lessons can we learn from that? Sure, I think this debate's still ongoing for some states, mm. but I, I mean, I would have loved a national mandate on masking early on, just because I feel that had we all um, been on the same page and masked early on and given PPE to these essential workers, to our medical personnel, everyone else too early on, we would have saved a lot more lives. Yeah, that consistent messaging. I, you know, you read story after story of how 18-year-old baristas working at Starbucks are tasked with enforcing, you know, mask mandates inside their own store and it uh, it spirals out of control. So yeah, consistent messaging, I think um, across the board would have been very helpful. Oh yes.
Now, uh, you, you work with a lot of patients from many different backgrounds, and you have for your whole career, and you know, you've known these communities your whole life, really. Have you noticed different themes or areas of mistrust uh, from, say, those in the Latino community compared with elderly patients or even those from other underserved areas? What have you noticed? Sure. So when it comes to, um, for example, in the Latino community, there's a lot of vaccine hesitancy that now we're trying to break down because a lot of them got infected throughout the pandemic. So they weren't protected with PPE. So Dave, I even heard cases like where workers would come into my office and say, their bosses said, we're not giving you PPE. You're going to continue to work the way you are. And if you want the job, if not, you can leave. And a lot of them didn't have a legal status and needed the money. So I was writing letters to these actual bosses and saying, this is Dr. Mora and you have to give PPE to these people and kind of being a voice for them at their factories, which is really sad. But because of that, because of the fact that they felt such mistrust and not taken care of, now they have a mistrust of the government as well, too. Well, one is legal status. Well, if I give my information, then are they going to use that same information to deport me if I get the vaccination? Um, the other one that I hear a lot as well, too, is, well, I already got COVID because a lot of them did get COVID through, mm. you know, their jobs, et cetera. So I don't need the vaccine anymore. I, I'm already protected. Or I already had COVID and the, my symptoms were really, really mild. So what does it matter if I get the vaccine or not is another big one that I actually hear. Elderly population, on the other hand, is afraid of the side effects in the Latino community, I find. So a lot of them tell me, well, what if I get a really bad fever? I get really dehydrated. Am I going to die? What if I die from the vaccine? So it's dispelling those fears of the side effects in the elderly population and in the younger population, really dispelling the myths and kind of getting them on board with vaccinating. Oh, that's great. You know, I, it's, it's funny. I had a conversation just last week, a 14-year-old patient, uh, and his mother said, would you talk to him about vaccines because he doesn't want to get one? Um, and I said, what are you worried about? And he pulled his mask down and he sort of like stuck his tongue out to the side. And I said, what is that? He said, it's the, the palsy that people get. I said, you're worried about Bell's palsy? And I asked him, I was like, where did you even learn about that? <laughs> and he said, I saw it on YouTube. And I went, well, that's really fascinating. <laughs> and we had, we had a conversation about that and risk. But yeah, it's just, it's amazing where people are getting their information from and how that's influenced. Well, it's, it's Google, TikTok now. <laughs> yeah. Oh, yeah, exactly. Yeah. So, right. And, and you know, when we do start, uh, when adolescents are eligible based on their age, we're going to have to have very different conversations, I anticipate. <laughs> Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. Uh, so before I forget, do you mind if I ask, and feel free to say no, but uh, have you received the COVID vaccine? And if so, how did you feel afterwards? So I did. I received the Pfizer and I ended the year with the first vaccine, December 31st. And ah. my second one was on January 22nd. So I ended the year with the BAME. And yes, no side effects whatsoever, Dave. So I joke with my patients and I tell them, I'm Cobra Kai. This is why. 
<laughs> Cover, I love it. Oh, excellent. Uh, well, congratulations on your newfound immunity. <laughs> um, so when you when discussing the vaccine, so you, you've talked about some of the issues pertaining to mistrust and things like that. But what do you have a general spiel that you use to discuss the the complicated uh, science behind the vaccines? Uh, do you adjust this based upon each interaction? Do you kind of go in with the same thirty seconds, you know? introductory info or what, what's your approach? Sure. Cause a lot of them also feel like the vaccine was rushed, right? So mm -hmm. it's also telling them that, you know, this type of vaccine um, science has been in the works for years now. It just happened that COVID-19 came along and it was the perfect virus for this um, mRNA vaccination um, to actually work for it. And so what I tell them, very simple, and I give the same feel whether they're kids, whether they're adults, because we have to keep it simple. So I tell them the way that the Pfizer and Moderna vaccine work is basically we're injecting a little messenger that tells our cells to, to make spike protein. Then the rest of our body, the rest of our cells, tell it to make antibodies so that way we build protection. So when the real coronavirus tries to infect our actual bodies, then those little antibodies captures all the little spikes around the corona and destroys it and won't let it into our cells and infect it. And this is why it's important that we all do it. For the Johnson & Johnson, I tell them it's an inactivated common cold virus that's also sending this little signal for, again, the making of the spike protein. And then we make our bodies response by making antibodies to the spike protein. And again, once the um, actual real COVID-19 virus tries to infect, then we eat it up and destroy it, which is what our immune system is supposed to do. And this is how we attain protection. I even went um, um, for a new segment because I wanted to show people that science really works. I drew my own blood. I had a coworker mm. who's, who had COVID-19 as well, too. And we showed, like, you know, our, our actual antibody levels for spike protein develop after, you know, the second vaccination. She had it after the first. And so that way we would show people in the public, okay, look, we can actually show it works. Mm. Oh, that's great. And when when you give this sort of spiel, so you're very proactive when you talk to patients, it sounds like. Do, what do you do to sort of read the room? Uh, what happens if you sort of see people drifting off or eyes glossing over or, you know, we always have to worry about various levels of health literacy and things along those lines. So how do you sort of adjust on the fly if you're noticing that people maybe not be uh, receiving the information you're trying to give them? Sure. So then you simplify it even more. So mm. I'll say like, you know, let me explain it, you know, a little bit simpler. And I said, all we're doing is making protection. So that way, this virus can't infect us. And, you know, vaccines have been around for many, many years. They've eradicated. Uh, then I go into my spiel, like, if we've eradicated polio, we've eradicated, you know, smallpox, et cetera. So this is why we have to trust science. Great. Uh, you, you alluded to this earlier about uh, it, historically, there's been a background level of vaccine hesitancy within the Latino community, underserved communities uh, for, you know, all other types of vaccines. How, it, do we have any idea of how that compares with hesitancy regarding the COVID vaccines? Sure. Flu vaccinations are some of the lowest in the whole country in the Latino community. Mm -hmm. And um, a lot of the stories I hear for vaccine hesitancy and the flu, well, I got really, really sick when I got that flu vaccine, so I'm never, ever getting it again. Um, mm -hmm. <laughs> I hear that ton. Um, the other is like, well, I'm really healthy, so why do I need a flu shot? 
I got a lot of people though to take it this year because with COVID-19 going around, people were actually more compliant with their flu shots. And, you know, also going into the community and giving flu shots through mobile care and everything else was really great too. Mm, great. And with you, when somebody says to you, all right, I hear you. Thank you so much. I've seen you on TV. It's all great what you're doing. But you know what? I just kind of want to wait and see. Uh, it's, it's a little too early for me. How do you respond to that? So I, So the way I respond is I tell them, you know, I get what you're saying. You know, it, maybe you want to wait and see how a few people do. But think about getting back to what you love. Um, you know, you know, the trips, the hugging your family members, seeing your mom that you haven't seen in a year. One newscaster told me her twin sister she hasn't seen in a year, and she had a baby. Didn't see her throughout the whole pregnancy, everything else. And I tell them, it's getting back for to our normal lives by getting this vaccine, and it's taking back the time spent with family that this virus took away from us. And this is our chance to really do that by getting vaccinated and getting our families vaccinated as well. So you make it personal and you make it real and a tangible, you know, uh, talking about something they lost in their lives. And, and do, you, mm -hmm. do you think, do people tend to respond well to that when you have that conversation with them? They do. They're like, oh, I see what you're saying. It's kind of a light hit them because if, if you touch their heart, that's what I have learned. Mm -hmm. You can you can kind of get them to at least think about it. Yeah, no, that's great. Well, what about somebody who says you mentioned in the elderly population, people are worried about side effects. How do you discuss that with them? Sure. So I go through the most common side effects, especially if they ask me, you know, for example, for the Moderna or the Pfizer or even the Johnson and Johnson. And I tell them what the most common side effects are. And then I tell them, but most, you know, most people do really well. One thing, if they're very frail and elderly, I'll tell them hydrate well, make sure that, you know, you get enough rest the day of the vaccine. You take it easy for that day. You keep hydrating. And if you get a fever, then you can treat it. Um, but remember, that's your immune system kicking in for the protection. And most side effects, I tell them, mostly last 24 hours. Very few people actually wind up going into a longer realm of, of symptoms. And I think it's, you know, it's important overall that you get it because the actual um, 65 and older population was the hardest hit with COVID-19. Uh, you know, it's interesting. I, I've taken the same approach. And I know the public health messaging is as well of, you know, side effects are really our immune response. And it's a good thing. And it says that our immune system is doing great with the vaccine and it's working really hard and so on and so forth. Uh, but then every once in a while, somebody says, oh, I didn't have any side effects. Does that mean that the vaccine didn't work for me? <laughs> I don't know about you. I struggle when people say that to me. Do you have any response to that? Or <laughs> No. So I, what I tell them is everyone is, is different, you know. So I, like, for example, I just say, well, I was exposed to everything when I was in medical school, which is true. You and I were exposed to everything when we were in medical school and training. So we probably wouldn't get as many side effects and so forth because we have this strong built-up immunity to begin with. Mm. 
No, that's great. Now, you, you sort of touched upon this of how when you discuss hesitancy, it's it's not just risk benefits of the vaccine, but really comparing it to risk benefit of actually getting sick with COVID, uh, especially in those populations at very high risk. Uh, in your experience, do people are people thinking about these decisions as isolated dichotomy, dichotomies like vaccines are good or bad, or do they seem to naturally consider these different aspects of vaccine versus actually getting sick with the infection. You know, what, what have you um, experienced when you have these conversations? Sure. I think um, they often think of them as separate. So mm. they look at the vaccine and then the getting sick. So then it's kind of nice to bridge them together. So that way you can say, but the vaccine actually imparts protection and will help to lower the risk of you getting sick and landing in the hospitalization. And they're all wonderfully effective, all three vaccines out, at decreasing death and hospitalization, which is the ultimate goal. And I tell them it's getting to that herd immunity, which is where we want to go, where it's back to living without masks, with, you know, hugging and, and, and being together again with our family. Mm, that's great. Um, I don't know if you saw this, but on March 5th, the New York Times published an op-ed by Dr. Rhea Boyd, who's a prominent pediatrician and public health advocate, uh, such as yourself. Uh, and the title of this op-ed was, uh, Black People Need Better Vaccine Access, Not Better Vaccine Attitudes. And within, uh, Dr. Boyd offered some insight on how to approach vaccinating the Black community, especially, and suggested that the major issue isn't really a mistrust of vaccines as much as it is just lack of access, and really that you know informed decision-making does occur if they're just given the proper information. Uh, I don't know if you read that or not, but do you have any thoughts or experiences along those lines? Sure. Uh, yeah, it was a great article, actually. So, yeah. um, and I, I think she she's really right on, on many things. And I think, you know, like, for example, even through the whole vaccination rollout, they are, you know, every state is trying to get to, to these hard hit communities by, you know, maybe making a priority of zip codes or everything else too. But then there's things that defeat them. So for example, the technological issue, especially in the elderly, like registering. So if they don't have a grandchild or um, a child who will register them, you know, on an iPad or, um, you know, because there, there was no phone line either to get registered, then they're so lost. Um, like, you know, they interviewed a little old man standing outside of United Center who didn't know how to register, and he was just standing out there hoping that he could get a leftover vaccination, and he was, mm. had been standing out there for hours. So it really speaks to um, not only, I think, you know, in African-American or Latino communities, I think that it, that one was across the board for the whole elderly population. Like, I felt we should have done more outreach in terms of making it more technologically friendly. Then in the Latino community, it was also the language barrier. So a lot of it was in English to get to. So um, the Spanish translation came a little bit later. So it was hard for them, even as essential workers, to get these vaccines as well, too. So there are lots of barriers that way. Um, and I, because on social media, so people would write to me and they say, well, I want a vaccine, Dr. Mora. But, you know, please don't don't say that people don't want the vaccines. It's just that we don't have access to them. And it was these, I think, technological difficulties that were making it hard for them to have access. 
Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. And you're right. I, I hope that, you know, they continue to, they, uh, the, the powers that be across all the different <laughs> states and, and locales, I, I hope they continue to work on that and address these uh, major issues because that's a huge barrier, as you, sta as you stated. Mm -hmm. um, all right. You, you've imparted so much wonderful knowledge on us. And as we sort of wrap up here, I'd like to just tap into as much of that as we possibly can. So shifting gears a little bit, do you have any advice on how practicing allergists can help their patients in regards to medical decision-making surrounding COVID vaccines? You've sort of given us your approach, but you know, any, any pearls of wisdom or tips that we can all take from this? So Dave, I'm gonna totally be impartial in this, but <laughs> next to infectious disease, I think we were the second actual um, uh, specialty that was really great in, in this pandemic because we're the immunologists. So we're really trusted by our, our actual peers and also by our patients. So I think starting the conversation, they believe that we know science, and I believe, which is great, mm -hmm. that we know immunity, that we know the immune system, et cetera. And we're the ones that deal with reactions from vaccines. So when, for example, when the allergic reactions were happening, who were they calling all of mm -hmm. us as allergists, et cetera. And even um, when it comes to, you know, for example, how these vaccines work, I think we can break it down really easily for patients. So I think starting that conversation with them and kind of getting them to tell you what their fears are will help to impound our own knowledge to help them and guide them into hopefully making the decision to get vaccinated for themselves and their family. And it's also a nice mental health check because this pandemic has been hard on so many people on many levels, young and old, everyone. And I think it's nice to just kind of check in as well too and say, how are you doing through this pandemic? You know, how's the family? And just shows that caring factor that we all have, which is why we went into medicine and and start that conversation and really be vaccine ambassadors, even if it's one patient at a time. I like that, vaccine ambassadors. And I couldn't agree more with you, Dr. Moore. And, you know, let's face it, as allergists and immunologists, we're, we're the nerds of medicine, right? <laughs> Um, yes, we are. <laughs> uh, we, we, what we what we understand is often poorly understood, and many of it we love this. We love understanding the very complex immunology and pathophysiology surrounding all of this. So I think it's time for all of us to embrace our inner nerdum and and rise up and face the challenge. So thank you for that. Inner nerds <laughs> rule the world, Dave. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> well, so speaking of ruling the world on a broader level, so we talked about individual patients. What else can our specialty do to help with public messaging and uh, sort of on a, on a broader level? This isn't going away tomorrow or next week. Uh, we can always do more. So how can allergists and immunologists help on that broad level like you are? So maybe having vaccine ambassadors, actually, like different um, nationalities um, across the board and then kind of give a message to their own community. And it can be in their language. So it can be in Spanish, in Korean, in Chinese in um, Hindi, um, and just so that way it's someone who represents them and it's, you know, a real message to their community. And I honestly, you know, there should be also a multinational, I wish, campaign where every specialty, allergy and immunology, OBGYN, PEDS, everyone kind of comes together and says, success we support vaccinations for the COVID-19. Let's get back to what we love. 
Mm -hmm. Yeah, I know the hashtag, this is our shot, um, is, is being used by a lot of medical professionals as they post pictures of them themselves getting the vaccine. But uh, as you mentioned, you know, a lot of, uh, we all look the same. <laughs> they look like me. <laughs> There's a lot of, you know, white people out there saying this is our shot. But um, No, no, but that's great. No, we need yeah. everyone. Though. <laughs> yes, exactly, exactly. Uh, do you have any tips for the rest of us in regards to how do we stay on top of all this? You know, the, the the knowledge and understanding and messaging has shifted from the start of the pandemic, and sometimes it shifts very rapidly. You know, just within the last week of when we're recording this, the Centers for Disease Control came out with new guidelines for those who are vaccinated about getting together inside, you know, in small group settings and things like that. So how can we all stay on top of this so that we can provide uh, current evidence-based information for everybody else? Sure. So... CDC is a good um, website for it, and Quad AI, you guys do a great job as well, too, and I love seeing the posts and so forth on, on the updates because it kind of keeps us current as well, too, and um, I love just also, you know, checking in on CNN as well, too, because I love hearing, for example, um, the the PEDS, what's happening in, in pediatric, and for example, the Moderna trial starting for six months to 12 years of age. Um, you know, I love seeing all these little tidbits that will hopefully help us navigate out of this pandemic. And I always tell people, other doctors and peers, it's in this sense, you know, look at us. We're the doctors. We're the ones helping in this pandemic, you know. Um, and it's really a blessing that we're the ones to be able to help people navigate out of this pandemic and we get to use our knowledge to help them and reassure their fears. In a time of so much darkness, we get to be light. And that's a, that's a gift. Mm, absolutely. Personally, do, how do you sort of um get all stay on top of all this do you set like google alerts or do you just have go-to websites that you try to visit every morning or evening or do you use social media or, or you know what's your approach sure. so i'm a morning person so i usually wake up by 5 a.m so 5 a.m i usually um read i tend to go to cdc website see if any updates i go cnn as well too and then i'll hit some of the journals as well too to see if there's any breaking stories for for the morning because then I know if there was a breaking story, then I should be prepped because I'll probably get a call during the day for to break that story. So I kind of want to be familiar with it, et cetera. And That's it helps great. me, like, so talk with patients as well, too, of uh, anything new occurring. Yeah, I, I love it. I, I, I also try to read in the morning as well. I'm a 5 a.m., a member of the 5 a.m. club, just like yourself. <laughs> um, but yeah, it's it's because you know the information evolves so rapidly that I think we all have our homework to do uh, just to stay on top of everything these days. Sure. All right. Here's the hardest question of all. Are you ready? I'm ready. What are you, Dr. Juanita Mora, most looking forward to doing once the pandemic allows us to resume some semblance of pre-COVID activities? What do you miss the most? What, do you can't, what can't you wait to do? So I love, so my family and I love to travel, you know, Caribbean, Mexico, et cetera. Mm. And my favorite thing is, because I'm the 5 a.m. -er, is going out and just sitting by the beach with a cup of coffee and just hearing the the sound of the waves mm. and turning off my phone for a week <laughs> <laughs> disconnecting from the world oh that sounds amazing <laughs> <laughs> Oh, that, yes. Well, I hope that you get to do that as soon as, as possible. That sounds, that sounds great. 
Uh, Dr. Mora, I can't thank you enough for taking time to be with us today. I, this was a wonderful conversation. I think you gave us all a lot to think about and consider uh, as we address you know, vaccine hesitancy with all of our patients. Uh, and this was very insightful. Do you have anything else you'd like to add before we say goodbye? No, thank you to everyone listening and stay safe. And uh, we'll meet at the Quad AI um, for some coffee. That sounds time. great. Oh, thank you so much. We hope you enjoyed listening to today's episode. Please visit www.aaai.org for show notes and any pertinent links from today's conversation. If you like the show, please take a moment to subscribe to our podcast through Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, or Spotify so you can receive new episodes in the future. Thank you again for listening.